0: Welcome to Fellowship Safaris, conversations about people of color and their journeys to subspecialist training in their countries of origin and around the world. Today, I am really, really excited to be having my next guest. She's a first, and she will tell us she's a first in what. Eve, let me give you an opportunity to introduce yourself.
1: Thank you, Jerry. I'm really excited to be on this um, fellowship safari, as you called it, and I'm happy to share my story. Hopefully, it can inspire someone out there. So my full name is Evelyn Wanjirungala. I'm a pediatrician, but also an allergy specialist, having done my fellowship in allergology. You've not mentioned that you are the first. Well, actually, the second, the second, um, mm-hmm. more correct. Yeah, we are two now. We are we are two. I had my predecessor, who was also quite instrumental in just giving me the impetus to go ahead and take it on. For the record, in terms of like the Kenyan
0: pediatric population, it is two allergy specialists to serve how many
1: pediatric patients Mm, well i may not have that random figure but you might imagine um our population is mostly young so out of the 40 something million i would estimate maybe over half of that
0: yeah over half of that is children and only two of you to serve the entire country imagine that So I'm hoping that by the end of this conversation, that somebody else will be inspired and become an allergy specialist for anyone who is thinking, what is a unique fellowship that I can do that will serve, that's much needed and will serve the population. And we Mm -hmm. are slowly growing, you know, that subspecialty. Tell us a little bit about how you settled on pediatrics and how you ended up settling on allergy as your subspecialty.
1: I think for me, it was more an elimination game. Like, I was more clear what I did not want to do, which I think is also a way that you can arrive at a decision. So, as I went through my medical school and interacted in various disciplines, I got more and more drawn to children. And children are just amazing. They are who you see, they speak their mind, they are authentic. When they're sick, obviously, they're very sick and it greatly affects like the whole family unit. But also when you're on the right track and you give the right uh, management for whatever condition it is, they just do so well. And so by the time you see a child running around in the ward, then you know they're definitely ready to go home. So I think for me, it's just that interaction with that very vulnerable, authentic little person who's just there waiting for you to help them and just improve their current status so whether it's a malnourished child or um, a child in the ICU or even just uh, securing the future when you receive a newborn baby and making sure that everything in those critical moments happen correctly for me I was completely sold Uh, when it comes to allergies so Having practiced for now what? It's it's, it's going to be a decade, actually, of being a pediatrician. Um, having interacted a lot with kids, both in outpatient and inpatient, I just saw a glaring up. There were all these allergies um, that spanned asthma to skin, especially eczema. There was food allergies, drug allergies. And I, I felt even through our training, we were not very well prepared to handle some of these conditions. And so the more I saw them, the more I felt the pull to do allergy. I was sort of battling it between allergy and neonatology because of also my love for the little, little tiny babies. But what then narrowed it down for me was, number one, mentorship from some of the people I was working with in the institutions that I was with and just painting an actual picture of what the future would look like for each of those fellowships. And for me, because one of my principles is just to be present for my family, I felt neonatology was not, was, it, it, it was attractive, but it didn't speak to what I wanted to see in my future. And then here was allergy. And I looked around and I'm like, we don't even have allergy specialists in this country. So if I want something more impactful, then this would be the place that I go. So then I settled on an allergy fellowship in my mind. By this time, there was nothing available, you know. And whenever I would interact with people, um, say people in um, just different institutions and would discuss, you know, what what, what are your career plans? I'd always say, you know, I would really want to do an allergy fellowship. Something came up by God's grace and off I went to to study. You have summarized
0: pediatrics so beautifully, as in the care, the interaction with vulnerable, authentic little persons. Could mm-hmm. you talk about some of the mentors that you interacted with and what were the, you know, the thing that stuck with you that 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 helped you make your decision?
1: You know, the people you meet with, I believe it's not really a coincidence per se. And if you're very open to the the wisdom that some people hold and are willing to listen that wisdom is imparted on you and when it comes to large decisions like what fellowship to do they they just come along as the people who just guide you along so one of my mentors was actually a neonatologist so this was someone I really admired and as I said you know I was very drawn to the little units and of course the vulnerability and the kind of um, impact that you've get out of just managing those critical moments very well. So after having um just over the years of working together he would base the kind of advice you'd give us on your personality um what your principles are what are your dreams and ambitions you know what 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 is really key to your heart you know and then during those discussions then he'd actually give you the pros and cons so for him as a neonatologist it was very clear he would paint the picture for me very clearly. I was surrounded also by very linear other neonatologists. So the more I looked into that, I'm like, you know what, this is really amazing for those who can do it. But when I speak to the truth in my heart, um, I may not be very comfortable doing this in the next couple of years. And truth be told, even in terms of working hours, allergy tends to be the softer side of things if you compare it to neonatology. So with those kind of interactions and and discussions, the decision became more and more crystal clear in my mind. So that was one of my mentors. But I've also had other mentors, even in other spaces, people who've previously gone for fellowships, hearing from their experiences, including this one other allergologist in the country and her experience and what it's been like for her. So the more I spoke to these people, the more they spoke into the the dream that I really wanted to pursue, the more that attraction grew towards that fellowship. And yeah.
0: I heard you saying earlier initially there were not many opportunities, but then something right. you discovered that there was something out there. So could you tell us about your selection process and you know how you ended up settling on that particular country?
1: Right. So for me, um, Now, once I had that drive and I was like, you know what, this is really what I want to do. And I was ready for the next step. So I started looking around and seeing, you know, what is really available with regards to allegology. So the only options at that time that I could see was uh, like uh, a block fellowship in India. So wherever you go for like four blocks in a year, I think each block was about a week or so long. And then in between that, you'd do it remotely. So I'm like, yeah, this actually sounds like something I would want to do, given that I have family and I don't want to be away for so long. But I don't know. I wasn't so drawn to going to India. So then I also saw some fellowship opportunities in the UK. The the restrictive thing there was the cost. So I'm like, well, mm, no, maybe that's not an option. But you know what's interesting is um, when you speak to people, some people take on, like they remember what you tell them. And when opportunity Mm -hmm. comes, they're able to remember what you said and then send it right back to you. That's exactly what happened to me. Like we had this discussion with a gentleman who was working for a particular pharmaceutical. And they got this email asking for any African fellows who are interested in allergology, like believe it or not. And there was this one opportunity. So when he remembered what I had been talking about and, you know, my dreams, he sent it right through to my email. And I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, there's an actual opportunity. This particular one was in South Africa in the beautiful Cape Town. And they're looking for one person in Africa. In one of my mentors was able to, just put in a good one because they knew the person who was running the fellowship at the time um of course they had to do they had to do their due diligence on me and ask me for all my paperwork what have I done previously why allergy and all that stuff the, the deadline was within I think about three or four days so from me receiving the email to having to apply
0: I'm really impressed and it's amazing your ability to create these networks and these relationships and what the fruit that comes out of these networks and relationships.
1: What I would really want to emphasize, as you have, mm-hmm. is that social capital is so key. Like, you just don't know who that one person that you've talked to, what that interaction can lead to. It's something that people underestimate, but social capital is something you should really focus on mm-hmm. growing. So for starters, even as I was applying for all these things, we had had a discussion um, with my husband about you know we were we were also quite newly married. I think we're probably a year into our marriage. We decided having these discussions because, of course, everyone is an individual when you come into a, a union,
0: mm-hmm. and everyone
1: has all their goals, ambitions, and all that. And so, you know, I kept telling him this is something I really want to do. Um, I need to advance in my career. These are the things I'm thinking about, and it's like what would that mean in terms of us, you know? He hadn't sort of come to terms with the fact that it may require to be outside the country and what that would mean for everyone. He was like, you know what, you just go ahead, apply for what you need to apply. When it lands on our desk, then we will figure it out. So once it landed and I'm like, okay, so here it is, here's the acceptance. Now, what do we do? And as luck would have it or as life, would loves to throw curveballs. I think about um, a week into the acceptance, I discovered I was pregnant. But it it just became quite clear that we needed to stick together as a family. And yeah. at, from that point, because the organization he works for, they're very progressive. Mm-hmm. So he started to have conversations at his workplace mm-hmm. about his wife and the fact that he really wants to support her and the fact that we don't even have this specialist in the country. So this is like literally for the country. And mm-hmm. he needs to be there to, you know, to just support the process. And mm-hmm. they were willing to lend an ear to him. And so you now we said sort of just seeing what that would mean for him. And um The consensus was that we were all going to have to move together. Everything just worked out perfectly because, so in South Africa, the process took about a year, like the Mm -hmm. literal paperwork. There was a worker strike in South Africa at that time, so it delayed things even longer. But you know Mm -hmm. what? It was to my advantage because I was able to get my baby after the nine months. I was able to go on my mat leave. And then soon after that, everything was ready and set and we left with our four-month-old baby.
0: Nobody prepares you for some of these curveballs. Like you're taught about them a bit in silos, but you're you're rarely told, okay, when these things happen together, like how do you, how do you maneuver that? How do you maneuver? So how were you able to, you know, navigate funding? Talk a little bit about that
1: process. This particular fellowship that was being offered actually included full tuition covered. And on top of that, there was a monthly stipend. So this came as a very welcome gift to us yes. that I didn't have to worry about my tuition fee and I didn't have to worry about how we were going to survive. The
0: institution you are working at held a position for you, like when you finish. Your fellowship to go back to this particular institution. Yes. 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 Oh my gosh, that's like a <laughs> nice. That's like a nice combination of different things. Mm-hmm. I was experiencing the
1: learning in South Africa. First, it was an amazing hospital that I was working in, you know, and also under the umbrella of an amazing university. So this hospital has all sorts of specialists that you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And then when it came to now the learning experience, they already had a pre-written like a curriculum. So what are your expectations from day one? Mm -hmm. So that made things quite easy in terms of knowing where you need to be, what you need to do, when and how. The nitty gritty details of the learning. I -hmm. mean, it was like scaling a wall. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like what kind of a wall a very steep one. Oh wow <laughs> like the wow like the trajectory of learning was very steep you know there are many oh, times wow. you question like you in medical school like what were you doing in medical school what exactly? were we doing like what like, you know like there was just such a steep learning curve yeah, But you know, there's always that standard um, time period where you, you equalize. <laughs> yes. So like within three to six months. So within the six months, once you've sort of gotten your feet on the ground and you know what needs mm. to be done, the cases you're dealing with, what are your resources, learning resources and that kind of thing, then you, you rise up to being at par with everyone else. Different
0: people will talk about like that past six months. Is it because of how they taught? Is it because of how we have been accustomed to learning or is it also like the hospital culture or, or a mishmash of all those things? I actually
1: think it's a combination of all those things. So the mm. the, the, the way they teach even their students, mm. they teach them at a very advanced level. And I think part of that is because of what is available to them anyway in their healthcare mm. system. And then the teaching culture is that they're all so present, like your professor or whoever is your supervisor is like so present, so with you, walking you along. How
0: accessible were research opportunities during fellowship for you?
1: I would say the opportunities were there. You just needed Mm -hmm. to show interest and you needed to show your own diligence. You know, Mm -hmm. so like talking to your professor, telling them what you're thinking about, what is of interest to you based on what you've seen. And -hmm. even as you think back to your home country and some of the things you probably have to deal with or face. Opportunity look like even before Mm -hmm. you get into any kind of research, you'd have to go through a series for several weeks Mm -hmm. um, that is taught in depth, you know, from how to search Just using the basic search engines, how to refine your search, how to do literature reviews, um, the different kinds of research that you can do, and all these Mm -hmm. things. And then now the other opportunities that would open Mm -hmm. up now beyond that is where Mm -hmm. to share your research. You know, Mm -hmm. so what you've already done, Mm -hmm. um, sharing it out to other
0: people. If you think about two or three highs or best moments of your fellowship, what would those have been for you?
1: So I think for me, for one, was that we were in a very beautiful city. Like literally just woke up, wake up rather, mm-hmm. through your curtains and what you see is the majestic table mountain and all its glory, wow. and just wow. the scenery that goes with that. That was just so beautiful. I must say it was it was an amazing experience. And then of course, just having a supportive family, a supportive husband um, and mm-hmm. friends who also saved mm-hmm. us through that period. It can be a very lonely affair, um, mm-hmm. but for me, I would say I was very lucky mm-hmm. to have my husband and also just other friends that people referred to, to us, mm-hmm. like to mm-hmm. just interact with. They were also gracious and extended their hand of welcome. And then yeah. last but not least is the team that I was working with. Mm-hmm. I mean, the allergy team was fantastic. As much as I was the only Kenyan there, and there were yeah. people from other places, it was a small team, but a very strong Team um, that was very willing to just inspire each one and pull each one to the level mm-hmm. that they were supposed to be.
0: And if you think back, what mm-hmm. were some of the lows, the things that you're just like, wow? Huh.
1: I think for me, one was we went when there was a lot of xenophobia in mm-hmm. South Africa. And so going with that anxiety and fear of not mm-hmm. knowing what's going to happen, here you mm-hmm. are, you plucked yourselves out of your home country. Mm -hmm. to a foreign land you know you you know to think about um at what opportunity cost so there was that just that fear and anxiety and then as luck would have it covid hit when we were right Mm -hmm. there and south africa was one of the like really hard (gasps) hit places in africa and even just globally as a whole with new strains coming up there and all that Mm -hmm. so having to adjust and you know with you being asked do you want to go back home or do you want to finish your fellowship and just what? having that very hard decision of saying, you know yes. what, we only have a two-year period. Yeah. Let's do this. And then I think a third law would be lack of a forum to like discuss issues faced as a fellow. Mm. I feel like you just sort of have to struggle on your feet by yourself. Because mm. like as much as you've probably spoken to other fellows elsewhere, that initial um, landing before you get to know people can be a bit of a, a struggle. Um, even just basics such as where to go shopping, you know what I mean, like uh, yeah. where do you where should you buy groceries, which are the safe areas? Where should yes. Where should you live? Where is an affordable area? you know mm-hmm. And even just people who you can chat along and say, "Hey, I'm experiencing this. Did mm-hmm. you have experience this? How did you navigate that? Yeah. yeah, So just that lack of a forum.
0: What role did your faith play?
1: I would say that 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 faith aspect was even before the fellowship. Just having Mm. faith that it would happen, Mm -hmm. us packing up and leaving, that was literally a step of faith. You know, Mm -hmm. you're literally stepping into the unknown, Mm -hmm. but trusting that guidance awaits on the other side. You know, Mm -hmm. you may not see it, but it is Mm -hmm. there.
0: We talked about different things that kept you staying along the way that helped ground you. Mm -hmm. Um, And when it comes to mental health, were there... Ever any challenges, and was there a way that you could be able to, you know, talk to somebody, or was there a forum that you could be able to deal with some of those challenges?
1: Yeah, I remember especially when COVID hit, the institution and the program that we were under was really trying to make sure that all fellows are sort of, you know, in a good space. There was like a a support system. Mm-hmm. We would also have regular check-ins, just as the fellows you would meet. So I think in that regard, they really tried. Though I think the background of that was actual COVID. So I don't know whether without COVID, whether that kind of system actually exists. You know what I mean? I I hear
0: you. When you think back over that two-year period, do you have
1: any regrets? I have Mm -hmm. absolutely no regrets. I did what I needed to do within the time I was given. I had full support of my family. I had an amazing learning experience. I was able to tour and you know just get to see the beautiful Cape Town. Honestly, if I was to do it again, I would completely go for it. Mm. So just having gone full throttle, yeah, with courage and mm-hmm. boldness, yeah, I have no regrets
0: whatsoever. No regrets.
1: What would mm. be
0: your party shot or your words of wisdom to this person who is seeking out information or? trying to figure out, do I want to take this leap?
1: Of course, it's a life-changing decision. Um, And everyone's circumstances are different. But what I would say is, go for it. Believe in yourself. Have faith. Pray your way through it. Spread your wings and see yourself soar to greater heights. And then, of course, be impactful in your home country upon completion. Thank
0: you, thank you, thank you so much. I'm so glad you stayed tuned. Please get the word out and share it with at least three people. Make this episode like a chain letter. Share it, share it, share it. Come back for the next leg of our safari, where we'll be talking about. So after the, the, the after the founder now felt that they had done enough, mm-hmm. because there was always the issue about sustainability. Yes. I think we, uh, the, the European Society of Pediatric Endocrinology and the British Society of Pediatric Endocrinology and uh, what we call the International Society of Pediatric and Adolescent Endocrinology. Yes. They actually came on board as second sponsors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, uh, because a lot still needed to be done. It takes a village to make this podcast. Strategic and creative direction was done by Josephine Karianjahe and Melissa Mbogwa. The producer of the show is Melissa Mbogwa. Tevin Sudi is the sound engineer with thanks to AQ Studios. The graphic design was done by Benjamin Boyer. And the original music was done by husband extraordinaire Mokavi Moweo. This is an Africa Podfest production.